0: Hey, there's not a lot of stuff that I can say with any definitive uh, gusto that me and Jesus have in common, but here's one thing that I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that me and Jesus have in common, and it's this, Jesus ate a lot. <laughs> now, <laughs> he ate an awful lot, and actually all throughout Scripture, you'll see stories of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus eating with people Now, Jesus' stories of eating with people are a little bit more entertaining and impactful than my story about getting extra chicken at Chipotle, right? Side note, uh, they did a study that if you smile at the person taking your order at Chipotle, right, not too big of a smile, like the weird, crazy smile, but like a nice, real smile, you get extra chicken, and they won't give you a baby scoop. You're welcome. It works. Trust me, I do it every single time. But all throughout the Gospels, all throughout uh, the, the literature, the writings and the teachings about who Jesus is, uh, you see the authors slowing down to, to pause and to draw our attention to who Jesus is. And one of the ways that uh, they highlight Jesus is Jesus sitting down and eating meals. Now, a quick spoiler alert, uh, what Jesus ate is not nearly as important as who he ate with. And all throughout the, the Scripture, certainly in the Gospel of Luke, you see Jesus eating with people. In uh, Luke 5, it says Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. Uh, in Luke 7, Jesus anointed at the house of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. In Luke 9, he feeds the 5,000. Luke 10, he eats in the home of Martha and Mary. Luke 19, he invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. In Luke 22, we have the Last Supper. Now, as a matter of fact, Jesus ate so much, That when the people that didn't like Jesus uh, were describing him, the way that they would describe him wasn't Jesus the preacher. It was, look at Jesus coming, the glutton and the drunkard. Now, he ate so much, he was accused of being a glutton. Now, what is all this telling us uh, about who Jesus is? This means that Jesus ate a lot, but it's for much bigger reasons than just not getting hangry or or cranky. Does anybody know anybody who gets really cranky when when they're hungry, right? Fellas, anybody married to any woman that gets... No, raise it. Don't, don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You're going to get in trouble, trust me, especially if you guys didn't have any, any bagels yet. But Jesus uh, turned the meal, uh, the time of sitting down and breaking bread with people as an opportunity to explain who God was. And oftentimes, over a meal, people's lives would be changed. Now... Jesus' mission in life, uh, one of his strategies was to spend time with people, relaxing and reclining, and for hours and hours and hours over a meal, he would break down who he was, who God is, and how people should respond as a result. And we see this story right here coming up in, in Luke 5, uh, the one that Katie just read. And I want to unpack a little bit of it. Uh, this story is one of the first times we see in Scripture where Jesus breaks, down, breaks bread with people and eats a meal with them. And much more important than what they ate, Is who he ate with. Starts off in verse 27. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Now, I want to stop right here for a second. And at the risk of repetition, I want to kind of break down who a tax collector is. If you've been to Renaissance a couple times and we've uh, been in a gospel, we probably would have stopped and explained who the tax collectors are. But they are so polarizing that we have to give some attention to it today. Uh, there, there is no modern American equivalent of what a tax collector would be. So this is basically what was going on. Uh, the Roman Empire controlled basically from Europe all the way to India. And they controlled so many different territories, so many different properties, that essentially uh, the only way to control everybody, right? They didn't have the internet. They didn't have uh, fighter, fighter jets. The only way to control a landmass this uh, large was to have a crazy huge army. And the only way to pay a huge, huge army were to tax people in your territories a crazy amount. So instead of Roman officials going back and, and trying to tax everybody, they auctioned off the right uh, to collect taxes to the citizen of that country so that they can tax their own people to fund the Roman government. So it would be like if Canada overtook the United States. Uh, there's no Canadians in the room, right? Okay, good, we're safe. It would be like if Canada overtook the United States, it would be like U.S. citizens taking taxes to pay Canada. Now, not only were these people collecting taxes to to fund the enemy, the people that were killing their family members, uh, not only were they doing that, that would have been bad enough, they were also taking way more money off top for themselves, much more than they had the right to take. So this is Levi. He's a tax collector. He's a traitor. He's a crook. He's crooked. He does, there's no reason in the world that he should be somebody that Jesus engages with. He should not be the person that Jesus would approach, and he certainly shouldn't be the person that is welcomed in. So what happens? Jesus uh, walks up to him and says uh, not what everybody would expect Jesus to say, which is, dude, you need to stop doing that. You need to stop living the way you're living. It's foul. Uh, you're messed up. You're cheating people. It's, it's corrupt. It's, it's wrong, all these different things. And he wasn't telling Levi what Levi would have expected to hear. Levi would have been used to being shunned by religious people over and over and over again. So Jesus being this new religious leader, he probably expected Jesus to say something different. Here's what Jesus tells him, and it's scandalous. He says, Levi, follow me. He doesn't give him an entrance exam. He doesn't give him a list of things that he has to say he believes first. He doesn't give him a a, a quiz on on making sure that he believes all the right things. He simply says, Levi, follow me. Now, what happens next is even crazier. It says, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. Now, Levi's, all all his friends were tax collectors because basically they would have been so shunned from society, so kicked out that Levi would have been forced to only chill with other tax collectors. And his entire community was made up of tax collectors. And Jesus gets his newly minted disciples, Andrew and Simon, says, yo, come on, we're going to Levi's house for a party. We're going to Levi's house to eat. And the Pharisees are looking over like, yo, 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 this dude, Jesus is bugging. Like, this dude, Levi, is a tax collector, and they ask Jesus a question. They ask a question of his disciples that we're going to unpack today. Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's a good question. Like, why would you spend your time? Why would you invest? Why would you pause? Why would you give your attention? Why would you give your finite resource of time to people that are corrupt, that are crooked, that are on the outside, that don't deserve it? Now everybody at that dinner had to be uncomfortable if you think about it. Levi and his friends had to be uncomfortable or Levi's friends had to be uncomfortable that Levi brought this religious dude Jesus to the crib with his people. Right? If you guys are not, you know, not really big into church, I'm sure you feel really uncomfortable being in a room surrounded by Christians and everybody knows words that you don't know. And not only that, but Jesus' disciples were, were uncomfortable because here they are, Jews, proud of their Jewish heritage, and they're sitting across a table from people who are completely corrupt who have sold their own people out. Now, here's what's going on, and here's why this is immensely, immensely important. The reason Luke spent so much time unpacking and going through why Jesus sat down and ate with these people is this. Jesus called uh, Levi and ate with unlikely people because he wanted to show this, that he's gracious and he's powerful enough to radically change people's lives. Now, at a very foundational, fundamental level, this is what Luke would want you to know from this scripture right here. And that all your interactions and dealing with God and with dealing with people—this is who Jesus is. He is gracious, and he's also simultaneously powerful enough to radically change people, even people who are the furthest out. Now, every single day, you're going to be tempted to to substitute your foundation for God, your foundation for your relationship with God, with something else, with based on how you're doing. Every single day, you're going you're gonna to wake up, and then you're going to give yourself a scorecard on how well you're doing, on whether or not you did this or that, and you're going to base, you're going to be tempted to base uh, how God sees you based on how good you're doing, on how well you mark up and meet the standards. But here's what Luke wants you to know about God. Here's what Luke wants you to know about Jesus. Jesus is gracious, and if the foundation of your faith is anything other than this guy, Jesus is gracious, and he deals and he rocks with unlikely people, people that don't deserve it, And not only is he gracious, but he's also simultaneously powerful enough to bring radical change in their lives. If the foundation for our faith is that God is a professor, that he's waiting to grade our papers, or that he's a coach that's evaluating your game film, or that he's a boss looking at your quarterly review, or that he's a teacher that uh, just gave you a pop quiz yesterday, if our perspective of God is if any of these things it's really going to make your walk to not be something of joy, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to enjoy what God has done for you in Jesus. It's simply going to have to be another thing that you have to do and another thing that you'll feel guilty about not doing. Here's what Luke wanted you to know. Jesus is gracious, first and foremost. So gracious that he would go to Levi, somebody that would be the last person, would be the furthest out of the spectrum. As a radical example of this, listen, if it was based on how well people did or, or, or even whether or not people had me on their radar, then... Levi would have been the last person that Jesus would have called to follow him. Jesus called him to follow him. He approached him, even though Levi wasn't thinking about Jesus. He was sitting in his tax booth. Verse 27 says, Levi was sitting at the tax booth. He was doing dirt when Jesus came up to him. Now, here's what this means for you if you're not a religious person. If you're not a religious person, if you're not somebody that really bangs with church, uh, and you feel rubbed the wrong way by by God or or by Jesus, listen, check this out. 99.9% chance that that's not Jesus' fault, that's the church's fault, that's our fault. See, we put all of these different things in in, in your way. Uh, We've made it, we've we've changed the standard that you have to uh, dress a certain way, you have to look a certain way, you have to do a certain thing, you have to have a certain entrance exam before you come. But here's what Jesus does to Levi. Levi, listen, just come. And listen, I don't know what you did last night, last week, last month, last quarter, the whole last decade. Jesus would be very comfortable with you. He would be so comfortable with you that he would go chill with you. And not just with you, he would chill with all your friends. And he wouldn't just go there and and, and grab a, a happy meal and get in and get out as fast as he could. He would recline at the table, kick off his chancletas, and sit there all night and hang out with you. Jesus is not the type of person that only deals with those who are already cleaned up. Now, here's what you haven't, you know, what I want to let you guys know if you haven't figured it out already. See, the Pharisees had one way of thinking, and Jesus had a much different way of thinking. The Pharisees thought like this, right? Change, and you can join us. Change, do this, 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 and this, and then you can join us. Here's what Jesus says Join me, and then you'll change. Join me, and then you'll change. Just come. Yeah, but you don't know what I, just come. What I have a thousand questions, good. Just come. But, yo, you have no idea what I was doing last night. I do know what you were doing last night, and it's still come. Paul says like this in 1 Timothy, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ, uh, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now, Jesus wasn't going after the typical people that were likely to agree with him. Uh, He wasn't going after a certain type of people that belonged to a certain religious circle. Jesus called Levi and ate with unlikely people to show that he is gracious and he is powerful enough to radically change people's lives. Now, this same Levi, also known as Matthew, so Levi is Hebrew and uh, the, the, the the Greek word, version of his name is Matthew. So, the gospel of Matthew, for example, is attributed to this guy that we're talking about today. So, the same guy that was corrupt, that was a crook, that was a snake, this guy wrote the gospel of Matthew, and he followed Jesus, and he's one of the most influential people uh, to ever follow Jesus, one of Jesus's chosen disciples. Now, he went from that not because he was determined to follow a system, but because he had t- and he had experienced what radical grace looked like. And that grace, uh, in and of itself, uh, you know, we talk about grace a lot, and, you know, God approaches us with grace. And uh, one of the things that I love to say is, or it's a quote that I've heard, and it's, you know, we are saved by grace alone, but not a grace that leaves us alone. Right? We're saved by grace alone. The foundation, of the, the reason that God can engage us is grace alone. If it were deserved, he would have never approached Levi. But it's not a grace that leaves us alone. It's not a grace that leaves us to just develop on our own. Paul says like this in Philippians 1 and 6, that being confident of this one very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. The same Jesus that started a good work in you, Levi, the same Jesus that started a good work in you, the same Jesus that you feel calling you right now, he's going to complete it. Now, some of us in this room, you know, might feel stuck. Like we don't know what to do next. Like we don't know what our next step is. Like we don't, uh, you know, we feel stuck in life. We have no idea where we're going next. Listen, you need to know that Jesus is gracious and that He's powerful enough to lead you. Others of us in this room, you might be stuck in some a different situation. It might be something that you've been embarrassed about for for years. It might be a, a dirty little secret that you have that you would never want on one of these TV screens. And you need to know that Jesus is gracious. You need to know that Jesus is not only gracious, but that he's powerful enough to radically transform your life. So you don't have to keep your little porn addiction in the closet and wait until you've cured yourself to then come to Jesus, to then come to the body of Christ. Listen, come, follow me. A lot of of others are, are going through tough times in life where we don't see how God could possibly be in our lives right now with so much pain, with so much confusion, with so much hurt, Uh, with all the things going around. Listen, in order for you to trust Jesus' intentions, in order for you to trust God's intentions in your life, you have to first know that he's gracious. He's not punishing you for anything you've done. God is gracious toward you. And and the only way we'll, we'll be able to trust God's intentions in difficult times will be if we trust that he is gracious and that. Not only that, but he's also powerful enough to radically change things. Now, this is why Jesus is so dope. Uh, not because he gives us a, a math quiz to study, but because Jesus simply calls unlikely people to follow him. And guess what? He changes people. He changes people. Now, because Jesus is, is, is gracious, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, got offended uh, by that. But some of the people were so welcomed in that uh, Levi was so blown away by experiencing what Jesus had done in his life that his first reaction was to invite all his friends. Right? Now, Levi wasn't worried about how his friends would interpret him inviting Jesus. He wasn't worried about what other people would think of him. He wasn't worried about what even Jesus would think about him. He said, listen, what I've just gotten is so amazing. Yo, would you please come to my house? And not only that, yo, just please come, and I'm going to invite all my friends because they have to meet you. See, one of the signs of a life that has actually been affected by Jesus, and I'm not talking about religion, Right? I'm not talking about a life that's been affected and, and, and dominated by going to church or, or being a part of a club or anything like that. A life that has been affected by Jesus, naturally, one of the natural extensions is for you to automatically, to instinctually, to want to reach out to other people, to tell them about what, they ha- what Jesus has done for you. Now, here's what is not going to make you want to talk about your faith or to live out your faith in the public way. If the Jesus that you're experiencing is all about things that you have to do, man, you're not going to want to tell anybody about that. Because if it's all about what I got to do, I don't want, I wouldn't want you to be beat down the same way I'm beat down. So please, you be happy over there, and I, I wouldn't want you to be infected by this religion thing that I got going on in my life. What Jesus came to do is so radically different. so radically different that he calls people who are the furthest out, the people that we would never think about in a million years would have a chance of following Jesus, and those people become followers. Now, here's what I want a lot of you guys to do. And I'll just say it. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. Now, and and, and here's what I want to do. I want us uh, to be a type of people that don't keep whatever we have going on on the inside inside. And quite frankly, uh, we have these community dinners, and these community dinners are a way for you to get people plugged in, not to come to invite them for something that's super deep. Uh, not to invite them to a Bible study or a church service or anything, but just to get connected to other people who are trying to follow Jesus. Now, these uh, uh, dinners are very, 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 it's a great way to get people plugged in, uh, their first step into the door. And people who might not come to a church service might come to a community dinner. And all you're doing is connecting with people, saying, listen, we're going to connect with people over a meal. And I want you to sign up, and I want 15 of you guys to host them all over the city, and we want to just bring people in. And we're not going to invite the typical people. We're not going to invite everybody. You know, you're invited, obviously. But we're not going to just look for other church friends from other churches in the city to invite. That's not what Jesus is, uh, would call us to do in the Scripture. We're looking at the people who are unlikely. We're looking for the people that would never, you know, we would never think in a million years would step in, into a church or step into a relationship with Jesus. And here's what we have to believe. We have to believe that Jesus is gracious with us, but he's also radically uh, powerful enough to change people's lives that it doesn't matter how left your coworker is, it doesn't matter how right your, stu- your, your, your uh, classmate is, it doesn't matter how, where any of these people are, Jesus invited people radically to follow him and people that would have never in a million years made sense that they would be his followers. Now, we have to be a church full of people that are not content to just believe the right things about God and to come to church and, and raise our hands and sing good songs. These are all fantastic things. I love a good song. I love a good sermon. I love all of these things. But if Jesus has really truly done something in our lives, what, I, the, naturally, the natural extension of that is to be inviting to Jesus. Not to religion, not to do uh, 50 things on a list, but to engage in this guy named Jesus that is so radical that he'll engage with the people who are farthest out in society. We're not like the Pharisees that say, join us Uh, After you've already changed, Jesus is telling us, "Join us now, and then you'll change." Right now, no quiz, no prerequisites, Levi. Just come, Levi. There's nothing you have to do but just come. You don't have to, you know, just come, Levi. Just come, and I promise you, you'll change. And this is the invitation of Jesus to people. Now, let me just talk about the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Uh, in New York City, uh, in 2015, one of the most difficult things uh, on a lot of people are talking about your faith, right? A lot of our, us in this room, your classmates or your coworkers might not even know you're a Christian. It's not something that you wear on your sleeve. Uh, and in some circles, it's almost shameful to be a Christian, right? Like, oh, you go to church? Why would, like, why would you do that? I don't even know that people did that anymore. Like, people still go, people still go to church, you, like, you're a Christian, why would you do that? Like, aren't they all hateful and uh, they hate everybody and all those different things? Now, talking about your faith is, is certainly not an easy thing. It's not an easy task. But I wanted to highlight a couple of things from this story that are monumental. The first thing is this. Levi talked to his friends about Jesus. Now, I am not a, a person that would put a blanket statement to say never talk to strangers. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. I want you guys to think about people that are already in your circle. Right. I'm not talking about, you know, getting some tracks and passing them out on, on two fifths to strangers in the street, telling people to, you know, say this prayer or else you go to hell. I'm not saying that. But Levi talked to the people that he was already connected to. And the first part of following Jesus in this way are thinking about the people that you are already connected to. And I'm not saying forced conversations. I'm not saying think of some strategy that you can work in Jesus. Like, okay, when he mentions LeBron James, I'm going to talk about his hairline. And then when I talk about his hairline, I'm going to say, man, praise God that my hairline ain't like LeBron James. And then I'm going to say I'm a Christian. Right? I'm not talking about a strategy, but, but check this out. What we love automatically and organically comes out of us. See, me, I am a shameless Apple fanboy, right? And if me and you are talking for more than five minutes, if electronics even remotely comes up, you're gonna get a 35-minute speech on Apple. You wanna know why? Because Apple makes me happy. It does, it, just, it does absolutely makes me happy. My wife won't let me get an Apple Watch, so pray for her, please, man. Pray for her deliverance. But if you talk to me about anything that has to do with technology, I'm going to talk about Apple because Apple makes me happy. It makes my life joyous. I would buy Apple socks if they made them. I would buy anything Apple made. I completely believe in them. I am drinking the Kool-Aid 100%, and I'm not even ashamed to admit it. Now, what if, what if Jesus actually made us exuberant and happy and, and, and gave us joy and our life wasn't weighed down? That when the topic came up uh, about what you do last weekend, you wouldn't have to hide and say, well... Uh, Sunday, uh, you know, I go to church and then I, uh, <laughs> <church. clears throat> you wouldn't have to hide your affiliations. You wouldn't have to hide what you're doing on Wednesday night when you're going to community group. You wouldn't have to hide Young Life people going to camp. You wouldn't have to hide, uh, going to, being a part of campaigners. You wouldn't have to hide any of these things. You would just say like, oh, this is who I am. I, I'm trying to follow Jesus. Now there's a couple of things that, huge things that get in our way of, uh, us, being more open about our faith and just living a life where we'd be more inviting in general. Uh, In any order, they go fear, doubt, and indifference. Right? There's three things that get in our way. Uh, If you call yourself a Christian, I bet you, you know, there's a couple of things that you might struggle with Uh, fear, doubt, and indifference. Now, fear that people will think that you're weird or that you won't be seen as cool anymore if people find out that you are trying to follow Jesus. When we're fearful, though, I want to let us know this, we're not, we're not believing the gospel. When we're fearful, we're not believing that uh, our ultimate identity is not up in what, you know, what, what anybody over there thinks about you, you know. Our ultimate identity is not in what your coworkers think or your classmates think or, any, or anybody else thinks that or they won't invite you to happy hour next week if they find out that you're a Christian or they won't invite you to, uh, out to dinner for, the, for their party. Ultimately, The gospel tells us that we are so radically loved by God and so radically accepted by Jesus that our identity is based not in the flippancy and, you know, how how people's opinions of us will change every other day. It's not based on that. It's based on something much different, much more fixed, much more concrete. So we don't have to, you know, jump through hoops and try to earn people's approval. We can simply rest that we are loved and known by God and accepted by him, the creator of the universe. He loves us. He loves us so much he gave his son Jesus to die for our sins. So listen, I would love to be friends with people at my job. I would love to be liked. I'm a people pleaser by nature, so trust me when I tell you that this is probably the one that hits home closest for me. But even if they don't like me, even if I'm not invited back in, I'm not living in fear of other people's opinions because other people's opinions of me don't define me. That's right. Now, there's a couple of things you should be fearful of. You should be fearful of unnecessarily offending people. You should be fearful of trying to shove something down somebody's throat. You should be respectful. I'm not saying go out and start you know, calling everybody on your phone and start going, start going hard. But I am saying the natural rhythm of your life, examine it. What are the opportunities that you have to talk to people about just your life in general and to do that? So that's the first thing, fear. Second one is doubt. Now, there's a tendency for us, especially in New York City, to think like, yeah, I'll invite the guy that kind of, you know, he said he grew up in church she said she grew up in church, so maybe she'll come to something. I heard her mention this one time. One time she was listening to a gospel song, so yeah, she might be open to it. Now, there's a doubt that we have that people can actually change, right? Maybe somebody in Oklahoma, you know, they'll they'll listen to Jesus. They'll follow Jesus. But there's a doubt that people who are far on the outside can actually change at a fundamental uh, uh, heart level uh, in their lives. So we doubt but Jesus shows us this interaction with Levi to let us know, listen, this dude is the furthest person out, and there's nobody on your radar. There's nobody on your friend. there's nobody that is outside uh, the boundaries of becoming a follower of Jesus. And then this is not to say that there's a 100 percent success rate, and there is no such thing as a success rate. This is to say that there is nobody that is uh, more prone to follow Jesus than others. There are a ton of people who are more prone to come to church than others but there's nobody that is more prone to follow Jesus than others. Here's how Paul says it in Romans 3. He says, nobody is righteous, no, not one. Nobody understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So the gospel says that nobody seeks after God. The gospel says that you didn't seek after God, but Jesus sought after you. Even though you didn't deserve it, he still sought after you. How are we doubting the power of God in our lives right now? How are we doubting the power of Jesus to actually change people's lives that we say, yeah, this professor would, not, yeah, they would laugh me out of the classroom if they knew I was a Christian. Or this dude, man, he would laugh me out, he would laugh at me like crazy. This guy in my barbershop, man, he talks so crazy about Jesus. He's, he would never, ever in a million years, I want to challenge that, that, that perception. There's nobody that is too far out And Jesus goes at the Levi, he eats with these unlikely people to show us that he is gracious and he is also powerful enough to radically change people's lives. Now, the the third one that gets to us is indifference. And indifference is basically not caring really as much as what people do. Uh, And that's usually rooted in in us not being super satisfied with our relationship with Jesus. Right? So we're like, listen, whatever you're doing is making you happy. Listen, just keep doing that. I'm not going to step on your toes. I'm not going to... You know, that's, that's the narrative of our day. I want you guys to think about this. For the last you know, couple hundred years uh, in this country, we all have these things called cultural narratives. And these change every 50, 100, 200 years, right? And the cultural narrative of today is individualism. Right. Do whatever makes you happy. And if you don't, if anybody challenges what makes you happy, if anybody challenges uh, you doing your individual thing, whatever you have determined to be the best thing, they're hateful. Right. Not only are they hateful, but they are bigots and all those other different things, right? But here's what, Jesus is staunchly opposed to individualism. There has never been anybody that has ever encountered Jesus where Jesus said, listen, yeah, 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 yeah. Just do whatever you want, man. Do whatever makes you happy, bro. Jesus did the opposite. He says, if anybody wants to come after me, let him first deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and then follow me. He's saying, yes, there's an individual that's going to have to die to self every single day to follow me. Now, If we are living lives where Jesus has become a set of rules, where he has become an obligation for us to fulfill, then the last thing we're going to want to do organically is talk about our faith because why would we ever want to load that on somebody else? But then, again, we're not believing the gospel because the gospel message is uh, undeserving people got unconditional acceptance by an unobligated giver. That undeserving people get unconditional acceptance by an unobligated giver. And if that's the case, this dude Jesus is dope. This dude, Jesus is the most incredible thing in the world, and we can't be indifferent uh, to others uh, to not want to introduce him into the relationship uh, with them. Again, man, one of the best ways that we have sought over this summer, we've thought and we've prayed about what we want to do this summer to open the doors, not to Renaissance, not to church, to uh, turn our attention outward uh, so that we're, we're not thinking insular, but we're thinking outside of these four walls, was to do these community dinners right, at your house, at different people's houses, to invite your friends, and to to start to live on mission with Jesus. Now, our goal certainly wasn't that anything that we're doing would be gloomy, but certainly we believe that our walk with God is not only a community project, but being in community actually brings life, right? Being connected to a healthy, vibrant community actually brings life, Now, I'm I'm sure you guys would agree with this, right? I'm sure you guys have seen teenagers that were good kids and they get caught with the wrong people. And next thing you know, their pants are at their kneecaps and they got, you know, and and they're getting locked up every other week and they're getting kicked out of school. You want to know why they turned? Because of the community they got connected with. Or, you know, somebody in college who was a normal person and then they get caught up with some cult or some crazy religious joint and then now they're like super weird. And they were normal until they met that one group of people that were like, filling their head with all this crazy stuff, making them stay away from their family, and just a bunch of weird stuff, right? The community that we are a part of are going to determine and, 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 and steer the direction of our lives. And being a part of the right community brings health. Here's one of the best ways I know how to tell it. Uh, in his book, uh, Outliers, by Malcolm Gladwell, he tells a story about this town in Pennsylvania called Rosetto, Pennsylvania. And it was these group of people called the Rosettans, and they all came from Rosetto, uh, Italy. And this uh, group of people were so amazing because uh, unlike everybody else in their surrounding area, none of the Rosettans were getting heart disease. Now, this is before cholesterol medicine and you know TV commercials with like 700 uh, side effects and all these different things. The Rosettans, even though everybody else was getting crazy heart disease, these people were not dying of heart disease. They were simply dying of old age. So they were a medical mystery. Doctors went on research trips to find out what about the Rosettans made them alive and healthy when everybody else was getting heart disease. So first they thought, well, maybe these people have like really good DNA. Maybe they come from a really good stock of people that just live really long time and that their genes are genetically uh, um, protective against heart disease. They did a research and they found out that everybody in Rosetto, Italy, was getting heart disease left and right. Their direct descendants, and their direct people that they were related to were still getting heart disease. So it couldn't have been their DNA. And they thought, well, maybe it's like one of these Mediterranean diets with olive oil and feta cheese and all this other stuff. That's Greek, but whatever. Um, maybe it was their diet. And then they did research and they said, no, these people are actually eating ridiculously unhealthy. They're eating more meat, more cheese. Everybody's smoking cigarettes. So it's definitely not their diet. And then they said, okay, we got it. It has to be the air, right? The air is like pure and crisp, and like the air over there is like so healthy that just breathing that, it's like drinking from the fountain of youth. Drink, drinking, uh, breathing that air makes you healthy, makes you uh, impervious to heart disease. And they went out there and they did studies, and they found out that everybody else in the neighborhood, besides the Rosettins, even though they were exposed to the same air, they were getting heart disease. So finally, they closed the books, And they went to Rosetto, Pennsylvania to do on-the-ground research to figure out what about these people are making them live so long? What about them are making them so healthy that they're not getting heart disease like anybody else? And they found out this, it wasn't what the Rosettans were eating, it was who they were eating with. See, when they came over from Italy to America, they had formed this extremely, extremely tight-knit community that every single day, every single day, the breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they were eating with each other, and they were sharing life with each other, and they were breaking bread with each other, and they were never alone by themselves. And they shared each other's burdens, and they loved each other, and they, and they worked things out together. And the simple fact that they were a part of a healthy community brought them life. Now, what if the Rosettans would have invited you into their community, even though you didn't share their DNA? even though you didn't share uh, their beautiful Italian accents, you would have been healthier just by being invited in. And here's what we think about Jesus. Listen, nobody in this room got it figured out. I know I certainly don't. But being invited into the community of Jesus brings health. Bring invited uh, into the community of Jesus helps steer us in the direction of lifelong commitment to him. Because check this out. Listen, our walk with God is absolutely uh, uh, personal, but it is in no way individual. Our walk with God is personal by, yes, 100%, but it is in no way individual, and nobody will succeed. Nobody can follow Jesus in a vacuum, in a bubble, by themselves. In the same way Jesus invites, we want to be radically inviting. We want to be radically inviting to even the people that are on the furthest way out, even the people that we don't think could ever, 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 ever uh, come to faith in Jesus. In some of you people in in this room, some of you guys got invited by somebody, and you might have got tricked. Maybe you didn't even know you were coming to church today, right? And you might be thinking kind of, hey, where do I stack up in this whole thing? And I I still have questions, and I I still have all these different things. Great. Keep coming. Oh, but you don't know what I Yes, I do. Keep coming. Just keep coming. So Jesus called those who were the farthest out. Because he wants us to know, listen, I am gracious and I'm powerful enough to change things. So let's invite. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for, I thank you for this group of people that are here today. Uh, God, I thank you for uh, things that challenge us. Uh, but God, I pray that we are comforted uh, by your gospel. That God, whether or not we do a good job inviting people, we're still loved. Whether or not we're fearful, we're still loved. Whether or not we're courageous, we're still loved. And God, you delight in us because of your son, Jesus. Father, we also uh, ask for forgiveness for the ways that we've been, uh, we've doubted you. We've doubted your gospel. We've doubted your truth. We've doubted your love. We've doubted your power. We've doubted so many things in our lives and in the lives of others. Father, give us boldness. Give us courage. Give us faith to believe that you are good and gracious and powerful. The things we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.